One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, home of the song story, which we define as stories and memories that are automatically unlocked by certain songs if they happen to hit your ears. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Jeremy Hobson. Jeremy's a voice well-known to most WGCU listeners. He's worked in public radio for more than 20 years, most recently as host for NPR's Here and Now. Prior to that, he reported for and then hosted the Marketplace Morning Report. Jeremy's also reported and hosted for public radio stations in Rhode Island, Cape Cod, and Illinois, and he spent time as a producer for NPR's All Things Considered, Day to Day, and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. We met Jeremy back in October when he was in Fort Myers at WGCU for one of four pilot episodes of a new live nationwide call-in show called The Middle. His goal with this new show is to elevate the voices of Americans who live in between the coasts and bring a wider variety of voices to the public radio airwaves. The pilot episode aired on about 500 public radio stations across the country, including WGCU, and now he and his team are working to make it a weekly show. But now, on to his three song stories. Hey there, Jeremy. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Mike. Great to be here. Um, We appreciate your time and uh, joining us from out there on the other coast. Have you listened to any music yet today? Uh, Yes, actually. I I walk my dog uh, in the morning and I always listen to music when I do that. So I have heard probably 45 or 50 minutes of music just kind of randomly delivered to me from Spotify for my Discover Weekly. (laughs) How much public radio do you typically listen to? Uh, it depends on the situation. Usually when I'm in the car, I will uh, flip through onto public radio. Um, but you know, not as much as I did when I was hosting a daily public radio show. Uh, do you mostly listen to public radio on the FM dial or are you a, you know, a time shifted listener with podcasts and things like that when you do it? It's a mix, but I would say most of the time, like most people in the country still, um, I just sort of turn on the radio and, and hear what what comes up for me. I don't I don't if I'm taking a drive somewhere for 10 or 15 minutes, I don't have the uh, time or energy to um, go load up a podcast in particular. I just turn on whatever's there for me. Understood. So where did you grow up and how would you describe the musical background or sort of scene of your growing up there? So I grew up in uh, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, which is right in the middle of Illinois. It's about two hours south of Chicago, about two hours west of Indianapolis, and about two and a half hours northeast of St. Louis. Now, I am the child of two classical pianists. Uh, my father uh, is a is a world-famous classical pianist named Ian Hobson. My mother is a classical pianist. They met at the Royal Academy of Music in London when they were teenagers and um, were married for a very long time, had seven children, including me. Um, and so I grew up in a very, very musical household. We had two um, Steinway grand pianos in the household and like an upright, this like weird upright organ piano that my dad found and bought at some point. But a lot of classical music. My dad was also the, is also still the um, musical director of an orchestra in Champaign-Urbana called the Sinfonia da Camera, which um, had concerts many, many times a year, and we would all go to them. So I was hearing a lot of that. But uh, as like, I guess any sort of rebellious child would do, I, I went in search of 
other kinds of music that my parents didn't play and that I was because all of my siblings and myself, we all had to, to learn the piano and another instrument. I chose the cello. Hmm. But so besides that, I also at a very young age, like six, got obsessed with rock and roll and and it's particularly a station called Oldies 92 in my hometown. And I would listen constantly to the rock hits of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. This was in the 80s. Wow. So those wow. Were so oldies you, at that point. You were listening to like Roll Over Beethoven and stuff like that. <laughs> 100%. And like uh, old time rock and roll was a favorite of mine. Um, I, I, you know, discovered the Beatles and loved the Beatles. I, I would listen to Elvis marathons and, and stay up until like 10 p.m in my bedroom listening to Elvis marathons or even calling in and requesting songs. Like I was a crazy child and that's what I was doing. And uh, were they hip to contemporary music or old music, I guess, uh, in the house? Or was it like you were the one listening to not classical? Um, you know, I think my siblings started to to listen as well. But, but my parents, because they were in England during the 60s, they didn't like they, they weren't hippies at all. Um, but they loved the Beatles, especially my yeah. mom. My mom definitely like loved the Beatles and the Beach Boys, I would say. Um, but my dad kind of like n- not interested at all. He was much more, much more focused on Rachmaninoff and, and uh, other classical composers. Do you remember the first music that you saw performed live that wasn't, you know, something that your parents were involved with? Oh, um, hmm. I do remember that one of the first, maybe the first big rock concert that I went to uh, was with my my aunt and uncle and cousins in Philadelphia one summer when I was, a, I don't know, maybe 14 years old. And it was the Rolling Stones. And I'd never been to a rock concert before. I didn't even understand the whole idea of like, and before the main event comes out, there's an opener. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. There's another band that's playing here. <laughs> um, it was a band, I actually still remember, it was a band called The Coors. It was like an Irish um, band called The Coors that opened for the Rolling Stones. And then the the Stones came out. But I mean, the only sort of concerts that I would have seen as a kid that weren't something my parents were involved in would be stuff happening in Champaign-Urbana, which would probably have also been like, classical or like a local band performing somewhere um yeah um you said you played piano and cello do you still play piano or cello i can still play some of the last piece that i learned on the piano um when when i was probably mm, 12 i probably stopped playing the piano at age 12 and i probably stopped paying playing the cello around age like 15 um and it was really because I realized as the son of two classical pianists that I was not as good as them um, and I wouldn't be as good as them. And I had already started to, to do public radio myself on the sort of news side, producing documentaries and things during high school. And I hosted a show when I was nine called Treehouse Radio. So I was like, I'm excelling at this. I'm not going to be as good as they are at that. It takes a lot to be really good at this. So I'm out. Um, in terms of the cello, I haven't picked up a cello in a long time, but I was much better at the cello than I was at the piano. It would be interesting to see if I could still read the sheet music at this point. <laughs> I don't know, but I probably some of the muscle memory is still there. On the, I used to play the box suites on the cello. Like huh. I was, I was not too bad. Did Treehouse Radio have a theme song? 
not that I recall. I'm sure it had something, but I don't remember. I haven't heard a whole show of Trias Radio. The only pieces of that show that I've heard since then are a couple of inter- interviews that I did on that show, which would just be me talking to like Dave Barry uh, when I was like 11 years old or 10 years old or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He came through Champaign-Urbana and the 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 woman who was running Treehouse Radio, a woman named Sherry Lynn, booked him on the show. I had no idea who he was, but I was the one who got to interview him with my friend Chris. Um, and <laughs> I do, there is a clip of me asking him um, in this like very high pitched kid voice, "What do you think of the Clinton administration?" And I I did I didn't even know what those words meant. I don't think at that point. <laughs> you, you asked that question phonetically. I, I did. I was like, the Clinton administration, what does that even mean? But anyway, yeah, now uh, I know. How far back can you remember knowing what public radio was? Oh, very early because my my dad would listen to All Things Considered when, when, when we would drive home. Um, and... And the, 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 the station in Champaign-Urbana, WILL, had a news station on the AM and a, uh, and a classical music station on FM. So it was our car radio was always tuned to one of those. Um, so I definitely, I thought it was really boring as a kid. I like, couldn't wait for them to change the station to something, to, to some music. But um, <laughs> that's what they were listening to. You know, it's funny. As I got halfway through asking that question, all of a sudden it popped into my head that your parents were classical musicians. And I was like, of course he knows. All the- <laughs> of course he was a car seat <laughs> yeah, listener. What am I even asking that for? No, and it's been, it's been very interesting as somebody in public radio for so many years um, when you have to talk to listeners of a station you know it goes speak to donors somewhere and it's a station like many that has transitioned from being largely classical music with a little bit of news to mostly news with a little bit of classical music that's and i'm like look i get it i get why you want that music i i am the child of classical musicians but like public radio is also very useful for news (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah um okay let's get to your first song this is the uh the stevie wonder song how would you like to proceed um, you, I'll tell you this little piece of this, which is, you know, after I started listening to a lot of rock music and I got like a boom box, I had a dance party when I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old where I had like a bunch of friends came over and we like played music and, and danced around. I don't know if kids do that anymore. Probably not. They just use TikTok and stuff. But when I was that age, that's what I wanted to do. I want to have this like dance party, dance pizza party or something like that. And this was the song. I had a Beatles album and then I had this song. And this was, I think I'd recorded it on the radio, Superstition by Stevie Wonder. And I just wanted to play it over and over again because I thought it was so good. It had such a good beat. So that's the the premise is, imagine little Jeremy in, in Champaign-Urbana in his living room with, you know, 12 of his friends over and like he's playing this on the boombox. Do you have shag carpeting in that living room? I, I don't know about shag trying carpeting. To print. We're, 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 we're in the 80s. Oh, you're in the 80s. Oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry. I had shag carpeting when I was that age, but I'm a bit older. <laughs> uh, okay, well, let's imagine that. Were you a good dancer? Were you a good kid dancer? Uh, Dance without I fear. I want to watch a video of it now. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, but I'm, I've gotten better as an adult. <laughs> All right. Well, let's listen to this through that lens. This is um, our guest today, Jeremy Hobson's first song on Three Song Stories. This is Superstition by Stevie Wonder from his 1972 album Talking Book. Uh, 
Um, you dancing in your chair a little bit there? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, listeners, you're welcome for 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 now being able to dance to that song for a few minutes. <laughs> That's um, great. That's uh, great. Did those words at, at the time when you were a kid, did the words mean anything to you or was it just entirely about that bass groove and just the whole vibe? No, it was entirely about the bass groove and the whole vibe. I, as I was listening to that, I was thinking, number one, it is a fun, dancey song, which is exactly probably why I loved it. Number two, it's very similar probably, even though the stuff that I'm listening to now from the Spotify algorithm is newer is new all of it this is actually kind of a similar song like i've I've, I've still got the same taste for that bass line the like the horns everything about that was just it's i still love that kind of music did you ever um you know aspire as a musician when you were younger to play music like that or be able to find your way into playing music like that um, no, I don't think so. I, I, the only thing that I have aspired to that, that I, that I've never actually done, but I've always thought about, oh, on my birthday, maybe I should get this and it would be really fun is to learn how to play the drums. Um, and I never did it. Maybe I still will. I have a friend who's my age who just picked up the drums. Maybe it's still possible, but that, that would be the one thing that I would, that I would be interested in doing just to be able to, to participate in music like that i i never was interested in playing the guitar um and i think i wouldn't have been good at the saxophone or something like that i i think i've like tried to play uh like a, some sort of horn at some point in my life and i was like no no this is way too hard i'd never be able to figure this out so um maybe the drums you say drums you mean like drum kit drums like not like a djembe or something like like yeah no, no sitting like, around like, banging like, on drums kick drum the whole nine yards Exactly. The whole thing. Right. Exactly. Hmm. Um, so uh, in high school, where'd you fit in? Like, what was the scene like for you in high school? And like, where did you nestle yourself into it? Oh, I was I was a theater kid. Um, oh. I was I was Nathan Detroit and Guys and Dolls. Um, I was uh, I was in a I was in all the plays. Um, and there was this this one play that we would do at the end of the year every year that was um called big show and it was basically like saturday night live done by students and we would write all these sketches and just do this you know hour and a half long sketch comedy show and i was the first ever eighth grader because my high school went down to seventh and eighth grade so it was it was like there was one year called sub freshman that was seventh and eighth grade combined and then it was ninth through twelfth and i was the first ever sub freshman to get into big show and then I did it every year after that. So I was like, I was like kind of a joker and um, theater guy. And as that was happening, I was also doing a lot of public radio stuff as an independent study on the side, putting these documentaries together and trying to make a decision between going into theater or going into news. And I think at the end of the day, at the end of my high school time, I was like, I don't want to have a life where I am constantly auditioning for things. Um, it's too uncertain. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> and I, I think it's better if I have a, if I have a career where I can have just a more of a steady job. So that's what I, that's why. And they're both kind of putting on shows so that in that way, I got to sort of live a little bit of my theater existence no absolutely so you did like musical theater then too like you were i did musical you, you theater were singing too. on I wasn't stage the greatest singer i did have to do sue me as nathan detroit 
Um, and I was in the chorus of Cabaret and something else. I don't remember what else we did, but um, I was in Arsenic and Old Lace. Um, <laughs> but mainly Guys and Dolls, Nathan Detroit was my big role in the musical theater. Hmm. Were you better at uh, choreography dancing than just regular dancing? No, <laughs> I don't think so. I think I'm a, I think I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a decent dancer. I have the beat. I can stick with the rhythm. I wouldn't say I'm like some spectacular dancer in any way. Have you done any theater in life since then? Have you done any yes, side actually, projects? Yes. Uh, when I left high school and I went to intern for NPR for all things considered in DC for a year in between high school and college, I was 17. I went to DC and uh, during that year, I auditioned for uh, Our Town at the Montgomery County Playhouse in, in Gaithersburg, Maryland, um, and I got the lead. <laughs> and I was George Gibbs in Our Town hmm. for like a month and a half or two months of shows. Um, and the funny thing was, actually, I had been the stage manager, which is, a you know, the sort of narrator role in our town in my high school production. And then I got the role of George Gibbs in uh, Montgomery County. Hmm. Uh, in high school, do you remember any high school dances that you could remember, mem- remember for us? Oh, well, you know, I think the thing that sticks out of my head, and it's probably just like a combination of all the dances put together is the song that would end in my high school time, the song that would end every high school dance, which was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was like a three-year period where that was the song at every dance. So, Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, did you go to college to study broadcasting or is that, or was it, did you take a non-traditional path forward then? I, I I started at the University of Illinois um, for my first year and a half. I was at uh, U of I, and I was um, I was a liberal arts major. Um, and then I transferred my sophomore year to Boston University, and and uh, was a journalism student with a minor in history. Uh, so I did a lot of I did a lot of history classes. I think actually the the classes that that stand out to me the most from my college career one would definitely be. I was I managed and was so lucky and thankful to get into Ellie Wiesel's class at Boston University. Mm, wow. So I did take a, a religion course from him, which was absolutely incredible. Um, I was in a philosophy class um, it, at the University of Illinois that I saw this professor speak uh, during my orientation, and I'm like, I have to get into his class. And I think I had to take two prerequisite classes just to get into this philosophy class, but I loved it once I did. Um, and then the other one was an English and Irish poetry graduate level class at Boston University. I don't know why I took it, but I loved it. And I just thought it was fantastic. It has nothing to do with my life at this point, but I just remember just feeling great in that class and learning so much about about poetry. Were you a high performing student in high school and college? Because what you just described sounds like you probably were. <laughs> No, I, in college, yes. I think I, there was a there was a shift in my mentality when I got to college. In high school, I had a, I was high performing in some areas and not in others. Um, I was a terrible math student and a terrible science student, um, but I had to take those classes. Um, once I got into college, I didn't really take math and science courses, and so I did much better. <laughs> so, um, but look, I think at the end of the day, I love learning. And I think that's the through line all the way through, which is 
in my high school. It was a, it was a high school you had to get into. Um, it was a mostly professors' kids, um, and it was a lot of people that you know were brought up in families that were all about learning. I loved learning new things. Then in college, I wanted to go into places where I was interested in what we were learning and and get into classes that I could learn a lot of new things. And then you know, as you know life in in hosting a public radio show you're learning something new every day um and you you're talking to interesting people and you're just it's every every day is different and i sort of that's that that's what i love to do so um yeah that's what i was like yeah cheers once to, i sort of figured it out yeah cheers to that i mean that's exactly right if you don't like learning new things and you're a producer or host on public radio then you're gonna have a really bad time <laughs> we, were, we were just joking right. today that if you looked at the three books on mike's desk and you saw the <laughs> titles uh only radio like only reporters and producers would be like oh that person works in in show <laughs> right. like, yeah, exactly um do you have any musical memories uh associated with your time in college concerts parties things like that Hmm. Um, I'm thinking that when I was, yes, actually, when I was at uh, BU, I went to a Coldplay concert in 2003 or two when A Rush of Blood to the Head came out. And I can still remember the very first song that they played there. It was Politic. Uh, and it, I, it, which is a song that it's not one of their biggest songs, but when I hear it now, every time I just am brought back to that moment of being out there in Boston at the pavilion on the water with the city behind me. And it was, it was a really cool experience. I also became a huge Radiohead fan in college to the point where a friend of mine was showing me the lyrics and we would just sit in our dorm rooms and, and talk through the lyrics of Radiohead songs. Um, Kid A, I was obsessed with, and he just showed me all these cool things about what Radiohead was doing. That was, um, that was sort of behind the scenes of these songs. I have seen Radiohead a number of times, um, and so that was a that was sort of a college musical journey that I went on. When you were studying journalism in college, there were you doing it through the lens of radio, or were you just learning how to write and edit and research and interview, and then doing radio on the side somehow? Um, I was actually working as a, a, well, when I was at the University of Illinois, I was a reporter for the local station. Mm. Um, in fact, on 9-11, I was, I was there and they sent me out to uh, do a story about how the gas stations, there were lines around the blocks at all the gas stations in central Illinois because they had raised the price from a dollar a gallon to $5 a gallon and everybody thought they needed to fill up right away. So that was my sort of 9-11 uh, local reporting uh, situation. And then when I was at Boston University, I was working for WBUR as a, as a production assistant um, helping to produce Morning Edition and then All Things Considered and other shows and sort of learned how to write the local newscasts and and produce the local newscasts um, throughout college. That's what I was doing any, on the side. Any chance you remember the first time you cracked a mic live and had to like do it? Yeah, I well, it was it was after. Well, first of all, when I was uh, an intern at All Things Considered about six weeks into my internship in 1999, I um, was working on a story about uh, how 
they were putting up signs at gas stations around the country saying you can't use your cell phone because they'll explode. And, and then I, I was researching where this came from. Why were they saying this? And it turned out as I started reporting it out that it was based on a poorly translated news report from the South China Morning Post about an explosion that had occurred at a gas station from a cell phone, but nobody could corroborate that it actually happened. And so they're like, you know, Jeremy, maybe you should just do a story on the air as a 17-year-old about what you're doing here. And so I did my first story on NPR <laughs> in October of 1999. Um, the following summer, I went and worked with Jay Allison, who's a big radio producer who started two stations in Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. And he, he was just getting the station started. And I hosted my first weekend edition uh, uh, locally. On it was only on Nantucket because the the Cape station wasn't going yet. So I was sitting in Woods Hole on Cape Cod, and I was just broadcasting Nantucket. And I had to switch the. There's a. This is way too in the weeds for the listeners, but there's automation when there's nobody in the station. The station goes on to automation, and then when there's a live body who's hosting a show, then they have a. Then you can switch off the automation. Well, I of course screwed up and didn't do it properly. And there was a minute of dead air on my first hosting at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. Uh, my first on-air hosting was also coming in and doing like the breaks on the weekend. So yeah, and I remember I, yeah. I was so nervous. That's where you start. So <laughs> nervous. Um, okay, well, we'll get to more of your life in public radio, but let's do your second song now, the uh, James Taylor song, right? Exactly, which you'll. I'm going to let you play this and I'll tell you why it ties into public radio afterwards. All right, this is Fire and Rain by James Taylor off his album Sweet Baby James, released in 1970. It's Jeremy Hobson's second song on this week's episode of Three Song Stories. Thought I'd see you one more time again. I don't think I'd ever heard of James Taylor before this point, but this is when I was an intern at, at All Things Considered. They did, it was, you know, the turn of the millennium. Uh, and they did a series called the NPR 100. And it was the 100 greatest songs of the millennium or something like that. And I was helping out to produce it. And this was one of the songs. And so I had to listen to the song over and over. And they Noah Adams at the time interviewed James Taylor about it. Uh, and so I learned everything about this song. And I just fell in love with the song. I even have goosebumps listening to that song just now. Um, it's for, for people who don't know, it's, it's him singing about three tragedies. It's like a friend who committed suicide, a plane crash and a, a band that he was a part of or mental institution. That was also the name of a band, but um, it, it's such a beautiful song. And I think it, as you're as you're going through difficult times in your life, it's such a great reminder that there are good times and there are bad, and um, and you know this too shall pass kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, that was the that was the 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 start of it. And then that summer, as I said, I went up to um, work with Jay Allison in Woods Hole, and. You know, Martha's Vineyard is like where James Taylor at least lives a lot of the time. He's very connected with Massachusetts. And so I went through this whole James Taylor a thon in my in my music that summer and listened to all of the albums and was just listening nonstop to James Taylor, which went perfectly 
you know, on Cape Cod. Um, when was the last time you listened to this song like intently? Oh, it's been a while. I mean, if it, if it were to come on, it doesn't really play very often. Cause I think this is kind of depressing, <laughs> but, but, but you wouldn't hear it on the radio very much, but, um, it, you know, it's, it's been a while, but if I did hear it, I would certainly stop and listen to it. I, I would not change the, change the station. I think it's a really great song. Did you um, ever see him live or even perhaps meet him somehow through, you know, your work? I did not. I never, I never saw him live. Um, yeah, I was never the one to interview him. I, I know that, that my co-host uh, in at here and now interviewed him probably multiple times. Um, but I, I never did. I never, never met him, never saw him. Hmm. Uh, and he does these, these like big concerts at Fenway park, which I've also never gone to. (laughs) So yeah. Well, what was your first like real job with NPR national? Uh, I was a producer on all things considered right after I got out of college. Um, I, I went, I was, I was on contract positions for a while with all things considered and then with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me for a few months with uh, this show called Day to Day that doesn't exist anymore. That was like a midday news magazine based in Los Angeles. I did that for several months, but mainly all things considered for a couple of years after I graduated from college, I was a producer. Um, and then and then I got my first on-air role. Uh, I jumped to Marketplace to be a, a reporter based in Washington at first and then went up to New York as a Wall Street reporter in 2008, right before the collapse of the financial markets. <laughs> hmm. um, when yeah. you did, you know, get hired by All Things Considered, did it kind of feel like getting called up to the big leagues? Or had you, since you'd done your internship, you were already kind of in that world and it was sort of maybe you were expecting to be able to do that? Um, I don't think I was expecting it, but it was, I had such a great year there as an intern that I, I, I wanted to go back there. I, I was making a decision coming out of college, especially after Boston University, where a lot of the students in the broadcast journalism side are trying to go be on television. And I didn't know if I wanted to be on TV or radio, but what I decided was if my option is to build myself up as a TV broadcaster from local station to local station to local station, and then try to become a national national TV host of some kind. Um, I could do it that way and go to, you know, White River Junction, Vermont, and then hopefully get a job in, you know, Manchester, New Hampshire or whatever, you know, just like move up market, market, market. Or I could go build myself up as a journalist and go go immediately national and try to jump from behind the scenes to on air, which is what I ended up doing. Um, and, and so I, yeah, I was like, I'll go be a producer. I'll learn, I'll learn, I'll learn. And then when a reporting job comes up, I will go and try to take that. And then I will try to become a host. At that point, I wanted to be the host of a national show, which I eventually did get to do. Um, it wasn't exactly the route that I would have thought that it would have taken, but that's, that's what ended up happening in the end. Did you ever get, or have you ever been roped into doing TV through public radio? You know, we're a dual license station here. So every now and then, you know, they got to aim a camera at us and it's not my favorite thing. Have you had to do any of that? (laughs) I've, I've done some, but not, not like, um, nothing where I'm like hosting a show on television. I've been a, I've been a panel guest on some TV shows. Um, and I've done some, some, you know, minimal TV, but nothing, nothing big. No. 
Um, You're right. It is kind of, it, it, it makes you realize like how much more in radio you can focus on the product that you're doing and not what you're going to look like. Um, I remember, you know, after I left here and now I was, uh, I was about to do a hit on the BBC. They wanted to talk to me about the, the second impeachment of Trump. And I was like, they said, can, can you do this in an hour? And I was like, okay, sure. And I, I'm like, okay, well, I need to figure out what I'm going to say about this. And, and my husband says to me, no, no, you need to figure out what you're going to wear. What, <laughs> what tie are you going to wear? Where are you going to sit? Where are you going to put the camera in the house so that it looks good? Cause that's all anybody cares about. And the producer said, you know, your husband's totally right about that. <laughs> No, that's exactly right. Um, what did you do when you did spend that time with Wait, Wait? Like, what was your role in that must be wacky little world? Yeah, I I, I was uh, just sort of one of the assistant producers or something coming up with um, trying to find funny stories uh, during the week to, oh. you know, help Peter write up. You the, were feeding the, the machine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then you know the other the other piece of that show that has to be done is the um, the like the quiz at the end, and you have to come up with a bunch of questions. So it was it was you know a lot of that, that show is is very heavily uh, Peter Sagal, obviously, uh, but we sort of help him come up with some of the stories that he uses and some of the jokes that he makes. And you know, one of the things though is when I was when I was working on that show, I was scouring the news all week. And I was like, you know what? I want to actually do these stories. I don't want to just find jokes in them. So I, I, I went back to all things considered. They wanted me to stay at wait, wait, don't tell me. And I, I, I found a way to get back to ATC and I went back to Washington and got back into news. Cause it was just, it didn't feel like what I was meant to be doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, as you've alluded to, you know, you were host of here and now you were there at the beginning of that being spun up, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. When it went from being kind of a regional, uh, show that was produced by WBUR to being a national NPR two hour show, I was, I was there right at the beginning of that. Yep. Um, and you were there how long? Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. Um, did you get to, you know, you didn't get to interview James Taylor, but have you done any music <laughs> musician interviews over your career or, you know, particularly oh, yeah, there no. here and now? I figure you must have. A lot of them. Um, I, I'm thinking like, um, let's see, John Legend, I interviewed. Um, actually, I'm going to look this up because I had, I made, I had to make a whole list of like all of the, all of the, um, people that I had interviewed um, that like in different categories. Let me just see if I can find this here. Yeah. Um, in terms of musicians, Gloria Stefan, Timbaland, uh, Rufus Dussault, Tame Impala, uh, Jason Mraz a couple of times. Um, uh, Renee Fleming, the opera singer. Um, yeah, like a lot of lot of different musicians. Have you gotten to see much music performed in studio over your career? Uh, you know, a lot of the times, because Here and Now is based in Boston, um, a lot of the times the musician would be in a studio in New York or Los Angeles. So, for example, I interviewed the, the artist David Gray, and I had him do a live performance in... New York. And so they, they had a piano in there in the, in the studio for him. And he did a live uh, song for me. Um, 
trying to think of who else. I mean, there were a lot of bands also that nobody would have heard of, but that were just fantastic. And I started this segment on here and now called the DJ Sessions, um, where every week I would bring a DJ from somewhere else in the country to play five of their songs that they were that they were, you know, playing at that moment and talk about them. Um, and which was a great segment, but it also led us to interview some people that were brought up in those songs that, you know, a DJ would bring forward a, a musician I hadn't heard of, and then we would go book that artist and get them on. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, speaking of DJs, uh, tell us about the middle. You did uh, four pilot episodes, which did feature a DJ, but explain to our listeners of this show, what that show is. Yeah. So that, uh, is a show that, um, we did four pilot episodes around the midterm elections. It was a live call-in uh, program nationally. We got it on 510 or so NPR stations around the country. And it was meant to elevate the voices of Americans in the middle, whatever that means to you, geographic middle, uh, political middle, philosophical middle, people who are very important in our politics, but often ignored by the media. So we did these these episodes and I also wanted it to be a fun place to spend time. So I wanted to have a DJ like a like a Paul Schaefer or Questlove, like a late night talk show style DJ sidekick. Um, so I got my friend Anthony Valadez to um, do that. And it was great. And he played music from the places where we were broadcasting the show um, each week. And so- that that's the middle. Now we're sort of we're looking to middle 2.0 and what what the sort of how we can build on the success of what happened around the 2022 midterms as we head into this year and next year and how that will take place. But the hope is that we can find a way to make it a weekly um, show. Well, I look forward to hearing it weekly on WGCU someday. Um, Yay. <laughs> so before we get to your third song, let's just talk concerts a little bit. Um, have you been to many concerts over your life? Is that part of your routine? You know, I've been to more and more. They're so expensive. I mean, they are so expensive. <laughs> it's like, who has the money for this? But um, I am going to Coachella this year. I did go to Coachella in 2019. I was a little nervous about it, uh, but I eventually uh gave in and it was so much fun and i saw you know i saw this is what this is where i got the idea to interview all these people i saw rufus dusol i saw tame impala i saw anderson pack i saw um kate Trinata, the dj i saw um on the back tiny stage at coachella in 2019 was an artist by the name of lizzo um who Nobody knew who she was. And then a week later, she was on the front of the New York Times and then her career just blew up. But I saw her when she was a when she was just on the little stage in the back. Um, so I'm going back this year uh, again. And uh, it's it's the thing about that that I think is so great is it's at the end of the day, it's not that expensive compared to if you were to buy tickets to like two or three concerts. It's cheaper to go see that. Um and then you can just sort of wander around and like discover people that you never thought you would. And one of the things I did last time, and I will definitely do again, is I got in touch with some of the DJs at KCRW in Los Angeles who know all of these artists. And I said, who should I go and see? Mm. And it was actually Travis Holcomb, one of the DJs at KCRW, who said, you should check out this woman, Lizzo. She twerks and plays the flute. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did. When you saw her, could you feel that she was going to be big or had she not gotten big, would you even remember her? I would definitely remember, um, but 
I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think I, I don't think I saw at that very moment, like, oh, oh, this person's going to blow up because you're, you're also around a lot of other people who are also much bigger now than they were then. There's an artist named Rosalia who was also on a side stage back then, a Spanish artist. And she's like one of the, she's not a headliner this year, but she's, she's got, her name is very big on the, on the list. Hmm. Um, what would be a dream, a band or musician that you would love to see live at some point in the future? Hmm. That is a very good question. Um, you know, I think I would almost go back to, to like, uh, one of the, one of my old favorites. Like I would love to go see Paul McCartney play somewhere. Um, I, I'm kind of sad that I missed the Elton John tour because I think that would have been cool to see him perform live. Uh, but I think it would probably be like a musician from a musician who who really became big in the 60s and 70s. Did you happen to have or have you happened to have seen there's a new six part documentary series on Hulu called McCartney 321. That's just him and Rick Rubin sitting around in a studio at a board listening to the tracks with the you know the the original mm-hmm. you should check it out if you like Paul McCartney it's really really well done it's and it's just six 30 minute episodes so it's bite-sized I will say I should I should not forget that one of the coolest uh concerts that I'm so happy that I was able to go to was Prince at Madison Square Garden um a few years before he died, uh, but it was it was really cool to see him. And Sheila E got up on stage with him and started playing with him. I mean, it was it was pretty cool. Wow, absolutely. Um, okay, let's do your third song. All right, Steve Winwood. Oh yes, Steve Winwood. Oh, you want me to talk about it first? Oh, it's a, <laughs> this it's, is like it's this a... is this is the song that is <laughs> like still one of my favorite songs. I played it at my wedding. Uh, I, it's my karaoke go-to, although I, I can't hit the notes like I used to. Um, but it, I just love this song, and I will explain it to you after you play it. All right, right on. This is Higher Love by Steve Winwood from his 1986 album Back in the High Life. It's Jeremy Hobson's third and final song on Three Song Stories. It's biography through music. All right. Do you know what I just realized about all three of my songs? They all have fade outs at the end. (laughs) I don't know what that says, because actually, I think it's kind of a cop out to do that and not actually come up with an ending for the song. That's hilarious. Maybe it's just like my songs just go on forever. There's no ending to my songs. I wonder how that I wonder how that ends live. Like uh, right? they, they just, they just I, all just, sing everybody quieter. Just everybody everybody wants to sing. <laughs> they, they, they start playing quieter. <laughs> uh, totally. <laughs> the sound totally. guy just really down. Uh, so where and when does that take you? Like, what's the story? Well, so the, the, the beginning of that is a movie that is hilarious, and you should watch it if you haven't seen it, called Big Business, which features Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin as twins separated at birth. I remember like that. I, I think I saw that on HBO way back in the yeah. day. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, and it is, this is the closing song for that movie. Um, and I I think as I go back to that moment, it is um, images of like 80s New York City, which to me as a kid in central Illinois, I was very interested in the big city. I loved it. I loved like thinking about being in New York. Um, so that that's where that takes me first and foremost. But now, as I listen to that now, and I'm looking out 
the window at a beautiful, sunny Los Angeles day. Um, it's like the perfect sunny weather song. It's just such a feel-good, happy song. Um, and over the course of my life, I told you, I, you know, it's my karaoke song. I played it at my wedding. I like I made sure it was played at my wedding. And then uh, on the last day that I was at Here and Now for my last show, um, I said, I want to go out on this song. When I do my goodbye, I like wrote up a, you know, a few minutes of what I was, you know, thanking people and whatever. Um, and then at the end of it, I was like, I want to play this song and I, and I want to play it. I, I want it to, I w I'm doing this live and I want you to hit it so that it, it comes up at a specific point. Um, and I want it to play in the clear for like 45 seconds, which on NPR is pretty unheard of to play a song for that long. <laughs> I mean, unless something went it. wrong. <laughs> right. Or you're, right. Or you're this show. <laughs> right. Exactly. No, I mean, I, I, that was one of the rules with my DJ sessions on here and now was that the songs had to play for at least 35 seconds. Um, when we, when we listen to them, not just like five or 10 and then you'd fade them under. Um, cause I think you want to let people get lost in it. But anyway, that, that I played this at the end. I just, it's, it's a song that I still just love every time I hear it. Um, now I did get to see him live in at the of course like foxwoods casino in connecticut or something like that but i saw that steve winwood was coming and got together a group of friends and we went down and we saw steve winwood and he seemed so angry to be playing this song <laughs> like he was so much more excited about the other ones that it kind of ruined it i was like okay forget it i don't need to see him do this live i can just listen to to it otherwise but um yeah it was it was a little bit of a letdown because i was very excited when that song came on that's a funny image to imagine him just doing this song angrily <laughs> yeah he's just like oh, okay fine i'll give you higher love oh man um you got married here in southwest florida right is that when you played this song i did at, at the um marco island marriott that was that was where our wedding happened it was fantastic it was eight years ago hmm do you and your husband's musical tastes align um, they, they're not, ex no, not, not really. There's <laughs> some, no. you stepped <laughs> that down pretty quick. <laughs> he, well, like, so, so he is so into rap. Like he he's all hip hop and rap is like what he would listen to. Now I, um, what happens is because we, we, we will both listen to music together. We always have music on, I mean, dinner parties and stuff like that. We always have music on in the background. We love listening to music when we're walking around or whatever. So um, our Spotify algorithms sort of, there are some crossovers that will, that will come in. Like it, we'll be listening to something on mine and then he'll listen to it. And then, so our, it, it is kind of a mix um, because of that, but uh no, we have different musical tastes, but we we still like enjoy um, enjoy listening to the others' favorites. And it's interesting when we go to something like Coachella together. Um, we'll go we'll go to the shows together. So you know he'll bring me to some stuff that he really wants to listen to, and I'll take him to stuff that I really want to listen to. And there'll be some that we both want to listen to a lot. Hmm. We both love music, though, so I think that that makes it. Uh, a lot better. Have you tried doing uh, with your husband? They on Spotify, you can link up your profiles and it creates those playlists that you have. So it'll integrate your music, his music, and the music you both have in common. Have you tried something like that yet? I haven't tried that out, but that sounds like a great idea. We should definitely do that. 
uh, Spotify, all these fancy things. I'm still playing. Look, CDs. I, okay, you say that, but I will say, <laughs> I think that that algorithm is the best thing that I've ever had in the digital world. Like, if I could get, <laughs> if I could get other social media and stuff to do for me what Spotify does, which is not give me what I already know but give me stuff that it knows that I'm going to like and introduce me to new things. I, that I, that I love. Hmm. All right. We are heading toward a landing. Are you ready for a speed round? Sure. Do you have a nickname that is stuck over the course of your life that you would be willing to share with us and our listeners? Uh, I don't know about the course of my whole life, but Jer Bear has come up. Uh, <laughs> some people call me Jer Bear. <laughs> okay. <laughs> When was the last time you purchased music that had physical form and it wasn't a stream? Uh, cannot recall. Long, 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 long time ago. If you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter the arena to? Eye of the Tiger. What would your wrestler name be? <laughs> Jer Bear. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Um, if you had to guess, what would you say is the song that you've listened to the most times in your life? Um, maybe Higher Love. What activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? Hiking and skiing. Hmm. If you were a cocktail or drink of some kind that represented your essence, what would it be comprised of? Uh, I would say probably probably have some tequila in there. There's got to be some habanero because I love spicy. Um, and yeah, so maybe it's like a really spicy margarita. <laughs> a, re a really spicy margarita called the Spicy Jer Bear. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time. I'm, I don't know why this is coming into my head, but um, Down on the Corner, that's such a good song. I can yeah. hear it. CCR. CCR. That's, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that song's got a distinctive flavor. Um, yeah. What would you say is the most overplayed song of all time? Um, probably like something by Journey. <laughs> well, I think you know which one then. Yeah. It's only with the one song that that, that com competes there. Uh, we'll keep believing here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, any songs you'll avoid listening to? Uh, maybe because you've heard it too many times or something, but more maybe because you know you don't want to be reminded of the thing it reminds you of. You know. I don't know if I feel this way still, but back in the day, the song that I hated when it came on the oldies station was um, Brandy, You're a Fine Girl, What a Good Wife You Would Be. <laughs> I was like, what is this? I don't like this. I don't get it. And I don't want to hear it anymore. If you could broadcast a song into the head of every person on the planet simultaneously, which would you use? Oh, my. That's a very hard one. Um... Especially knowing the power of music and broadcasting. Yeah. Uh, well, it would definitely be something with a something happy to make everybody feel good. Um, so, I mean, at the risk of being repetitive, maybe I would say uh, higher love. 
Yeah. No, I think that definitely fits the description you just gave. Yeah. Um, um, do you listen to albums anymore now that you, you know, you said you haven't bought music with physical form and, you know, when was the last time you listened to like a, a, a series of songs in order that would be called an album? Um, I haven't done it in a while. We did buy a record player. Um, and, and then we've been trying to like build up our collection of, of records. And so, uh, that makes it easier because then you just play it and, that's what happens. You have to flip it over <laughs> and play the other side. But um, yeah, I, I don't know what, what it would be. Like, I would love to go listen to a Beatles album all the way through um, like Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band, um, something like that. I think that would be really cool. You said uh, Spotify feeds up music that you don't know, but you will probably like. Are there any bands or musicians that have, you know, that you've locked onto recently that you discovered that way that you would want to give a shout out to? Um, I would say, um, yeah, there's, there's one that I was just listening to. Um, there's a song called dance a little bit closer by Babert, I guess is the name of it. B-A-B-E-R-T. Um, it's kind of disco-y and it's, it's, I really, um, like it a lot. Okay. What would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? Mm. Um, well, I think uh, my 14-year-old self would be happy that I'm not, um, that I'm not constantly auditioning for um, plays, <laughs> <laughs> even though, even though it could be kind of fun. Um, I, I think, you know, I'm, I, I'm surrounded by really great people. And I think that's the most important thing, wherever I happen to be, um, whether it's in California or in the East coast or in the middle of the country. Um, I just like to be around people that, that I enjoy being around. I think that is when I go back to my childhood in Champaign-Urbana, the reason that people like to live in that place in the middle of the cornfields in Illinois is that the people are incredible. Uh, the, the the people that come in for the University of Illinois, um, they're coming from all over the world, but it's just like a great group of people. And I think that's 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 my 14 year old self would say, I'm glad you're around people um, that you enjoy being around and that that open your eyes and help you grow and, and um, you know, are are caring and, and fun and loving. And that's you know, that's what that's what I would hope that my 14 year old self would say well cheers to that um okay it is time for you to recommend three people who you'll share this with who you think we might be able to get on someday do they have to be celebrities or they could be anybody no it could be anybody anybody okay. oh no yeah right, you then, we we then. are we are very much a majority non-celebrity show at this point okay all right okay so one person i will say is lisa napoli who um was the producer of the middle and uh is also the author of a number of books, including uh, one about the founding mothers of NPR. And she has a mother in Florida, in South Florida. And I think she would be great. A cool. very interesting person. Um, another person that I'm going to recommend is the person who uh, wrote the theme song for the middle. His name is Andrew Haig. And he is a composer uh, a former Marine and a DJ. 
um, in Massachusetts and he's an awesome guy and ha- loves music. And I think he will be a very interesting person because he's had such a interesting life already. And he's a young man. Um, and then the third person, and I'm doing this because you're in Southwest Florida and he's in Southwest Florida. And that is my former neighbor in um, Marco Island, Dan High, who actually is one of the people who runs and I think owns the the marina uh, on Marco Island. And he's an awesome guy. And I bet you're going to get like a lot of like rock from Dan. Okay. No, that sounds great. <laughs> Connect us with them, especially him first, because we can get him most easily. But, uh, yeah. but you, you know, try to get us in touch with just, you know, hook me up with an email and, and we'll try to make it happen. Um, I will do that. So you, you played along. Thank you so much. Do you uh, have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? That was a lot of fun. That's my final thought. I, that, that was that was actually really cool to like listen back and talk to you about those three songs um, and answer some of those questions like what my wrestler name would be. <laughs> I'll have to keep thinking about that. All right. Thank you so much, Jeremy. It's been great. Thank you so much. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and host. Our production assistant is Jared the Intern Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're leaping back one year to episode number 207 guest, New York City based filmmaker Benjamin Murray. His second song brought him back to the New Mexico desert while on location for a film. He said he grew up in a world of downloadable MP3s, and at some point he started feeling a bit guilty about getting them through file sharing services, so he bought one, The Middle by Jimmy Eat World, and that one file stayed on his phone and moved from new phone to new phone to new phone for years, hardly ever getting played. Well, it finally came in handy when the 1968 cherry red Ford Mustang they had rented for the film shoot, which he was in charge of, lost a wheel when he hit a pothole while driving to a nighttime location with a couple of colleagues out in the middle of nowhere there's no cell service at all and we're, we're kind of stuck and um we knew that there was going to be a shuttle that had to come back at some point so like all right we're just going to have to wait and it was kind of getting dusk and some of the local farmers in the fields above us were all like lighting these bushes on fire we didn't know what it was we just saw these little fires popping up and they were like wild horses it was unbelievably cinematic that would have been a great time for the Indiana Jones thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, the only song any of us had was I had the one song. Because you had no signal. We had no signal. We had no service. <laughs> like, well, I wish we could play music. And I was like, well, I have this wow. one downloaded song on my phone. And it was pretty, it was unbelievable. And the stars are coming out super early. It was incredible. So this maybe wasn't the perfect song for the setting. But all the other guys in the car were all um, around my age. And we knew every word. And we jammed out to this song, I think, 20 times. And it was a situation that could have been bad. We were late, and it's a movie. There's a lot of pressure on us. The car is damaged, all these things. Uh, but we listened to the song, and we just were, we were just vibing. Keep listening.